verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Good morning, New Hope. How's everybody doing? Awesome. I, uh, I remember years ago, some of you may remember this, uh, a man named Robert Fulgram. I think that's how you say his name. He was a pastor, and he came out with a little book of essays. I guess these were essays he had written to his children and to his friends and to his church, kind of journaling-type exercises as a pastor. And he's like, hey, I think, you know, somebody told him, I think people might enjoy that and appreciate that. Why don't you publish that? So he found somebody to publish it, and that, that was a lucky publisher because it's gone on to sell 7 million copies. My wife hears that and she's like, why don't you write something? You know, just like running your mouth all the time, <laughs> turn that into a book. Uh, this book was called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. So you may remember that essay. It kind of went viral when viral wasn't a term. Let me read it to you. It's pretty short. It says this, most of what I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. These are the things I learned. Share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess, don't take things that aren't yours, say you're sorry when you hurt somebody, Wash your hands before you eat, flush, warm cookies and cold milk are good for you, live a balanced life, learn some and think some, and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon, and when you go out in the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands and stick together, and be aware of wonder." I was thinking, I always, I always loved that piece, uh, and if you're a cynic, you probably don't, but it is, I, I love it. I think it's really heartfelt, and there's a lot of truth and wisdom. And his idea is that to really understand how to live, we have to go back to the beginning. And I was thinking, that's kind of true of the book of Acts that we're doing here. It's kind of true especially of our passage today. As we wrestle with the question, what does it look like to be a faithful church in America in 2022? I think we have to go back to the beginning. Not that the church in Acts did everything right. We'll see that, that they did not. But I think the passage today in particular gives us somewhat of a template of how to be a faithful church. It's interesting, the first thing he said that he learned in kindergarten was share everything, and that's going to be an emphasis of the message today. We're going to learn from the early church how to share. We're in a series called On Mission, A Study of Acts. This is a continuation of our study of Luke, the companion book that we did at the early uh, part of the year. Outside in the lobby, uh, you'll see a little commentary that's our big read by my professor, Scott McKnight. He gave us a great deal on it. I don't think you're gonna find it at uh, uh, this price anywhere. And we sold out of the first batch. We ordered some more. 
Um, we're going to be in Acts for quite a while. Like we're even considering, uh, you know, pausing for Advent, picking it back up in January because there's a it's a long book and there's lots of meat there. So really want to encourage you as individuals, as life groups, as families to grab this. Don't let the word commentary scare you. Uh, he's written it for folks who didn't go to seminary and not that it's dumbed down. There's lots of meat there, but I think that you'll really appreciate it. So go, go check that out. I, uh, I just finished up as part, I'm working on my doctorate and I just had a class on ecclesiology. That, that word means study of the church. And we had, I don't know, 35 uh, folks here. We actually hosted it here at New Hope. And our professor uh, who teaches here regularly, uh, Dr. Nijay Gupta, uh, had us break up into groups, maybe there was eight groups, and he said, I want you to think, if you were starting a church from scratch, what passages would you use to shape that church, what that church looked like? So it was a great thought exercise, and then we got up and kind of presented, and it was cool to see passages people hadn't thought about, but almost every single group had the passage that Sarah just read today from Acts 2, 42 through 47. So if you have your phones on your, on your devices or physically, I'd love for you to bring your Bibles to church. That'd be awesome. Look off of it because we're just going to be walking through this passage today and, and allowing it to inform us as we ask that question, how do we be a faithful church in America in 2022? If you look at the... Uh, context that Mike walked us through last week. You remember the Holy Spirit came and fell on the early church. And as Mike explained, the Holy Spirit would, would be housed in a tabernacle or a temple historically. Now at this point in the story, there is no need for a tabernacle or a temple because we are that. The church is that. So we house the Holy Spirit. We are the body of Christ. So that's kind of the context. So the, it, the way the passage flows is like, well, what's next? Now the Holy Spirit is inflaming the hearts of God's people. How do they act? And we would be wise to pay attention. Uh, the opening line, Luke tells us of our passage, is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is the key line. The word devotion means a persistence or perseverance that's ongoing. What are American churches devoted to? What is New Hope devoted to? I'm sure we get a plethora of answers, but it, and it's a provocative question. It's a telling question. I think it reveals what you care about as a church. And so as we look at what does this early church look like who's following Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, on mission, what do they look like? They look like Acts 2, 42 through 47. That's what they look like. So we're going to dive in and allow us to inform our journey of the type of church we want to become. So we, when we break it down in that verse, we see they were devoted to four things. To our eye, that's what it looks like. The first one is the apostles' teaching. Now, an apostle in this context is someone who studied under Jesus, was, as an apprentice, was appointed by Jesus, and had witnessed Jesus' resurrection. So there's this group of, of people that were called apostles, and they were teaching the early church. What were they teaching? What was the apostles teaching? I think we can go back to the end of Matthew, which is called the Great Commission, where Jesus told his disciples to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So they only have the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. They don't have any of the New Testament yet, obviously, but it was an oral culture. So they, they all knew the stories. They had taken notes. All these things that we now have in our Gospels, that we have in our scriptures, they had in their heads and in their hearts. So these are basically apprentices of Jesus, the chief apprentices of Jesus, teaching other people to be apprentices of Jesus. So that's kind of the apostles' teaching. I think the American church, I think New Hope, I don't know. I'll let you guys answer. I think we do all right. I think we're, you know, we, we teach a lot. We care about the scriptures, those kind of things. We've got a long way to go. There's huge gaps. 
but we're going to kind of move on quickly from that one and really focus our hearts and our minds on this second one. Now, people who are looking at the Greek and how it's constructed will argue, scholars will argue, that really Luke's saying they were devoted to two primary things, the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And then how did they fellowship? He said, well, they fellowship through the breaking of bread and prayer. That's kind of how the, the, even the English, you can kind of see it. I think that that's probably correct. I think they're primarily devoted to two things, following Jesus, filled with the Spirit, on mission. They were devoted as they gathered together to the apostles' teaching, telling the story of Jesus, becoming a princess of Jesus, and to this word fellowship. Now, a little, a little game. If I say the word, you don't have to shout this out, maybe just do this in your head. If I say the word fellowship, what's the first thing that comes into mind? For a lot of us, it's like, ugh, like gross. You know, like I don't, ugh. Let's be honest. We can be honest. Like church people, especially if you grew up in church, you think, uh, you think potluck suppers, like bad ones usually, not great potluck suppers. You think of like that, like you've told me this, the awkward thing that we made you do before COVID where at a certain point in the service, you have to stand up and say hi to someone. It's like the bane of every intro, introvert's existence, right? You're just like, should we bring that back? What do you guys think? I don't know. You're like, oh, some of you are like, yeah. So when you think of fellowship, we think of that sort of thing. The word in the English literally means mutual association. Mutual association. It's really low-hanging fruit. It's not, there's not much there. That is not what the Greek word means. And it's interesting because if you go, and there's these websites to do this, you can look at a ton of different translations in the English. And I did this, and almost every single translation translates it as fellowship. I think it's a poor translation. I really do. I think there's so much more meat to it, and we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about that today. Uh, uh, Nijay, who I mentioned, who, who teaches here pretty regularly, and, and Amy's been involved with kind of uh, teaching our students for this last season, uh, he just came out with a brand new book, and I'm not, I'm not pushing this because he's my professor and I want to kiss up. or like It's a, it's a great book. And uh, he, he did, you know, full sharing. He did give me a free copy, so that's great. But it's called 15 New Testament Words for Life. And it's wonderful. And these are words uh, such as some of them are righteousness, gospel, forgiveness, faith, grace, hope, peace, fellowship. And you're thinking, what does that word mean? And he has whole entire chapters devoted to what does that word mean uh, from the original language and contextually in Scripture. And one of them is this word fellowship. So uh, a lot of what I'll share here in this next little section is, is from his book. I really encourage you to check it out. The Greek word is koinonia. And uh, you'll see uh, the root of that Greek word later in the passage where it says that they held everything in common. That's the root of the word. So Paul is kind of repeating this idea twice. Um, it has this idea of commonness or partnership or Nije came up with a word in his chapter, sharedness. Now, he marks my papers off for bad grammar, and like he creates words. What's up with that, right? Sharedness is the word that he gets, but I, I like what he's trying to do there. I'm just going to define it. Uh, uh, Eugene Peterson defines it as life together. Scott McKnight defines it as common life. I'm just going to define them and combine them all together of sharing life together. I think that's what the word koinonia means. It's not just mutual association, like you might have something faint in common, or you kind of wave at somebody across the sanctuary to say good morning. It's much more than that. Much more they were devoted to. They were sharing their life together. Nietzsche says this. This is a quote from his book. Church wasn't a privatized worship experience where spectators could pop in and out for consumption. It was a place of exchange and interchange, giving and receiving, shifting and moving resources to attain that wilderness manna vision where no one had too much or too little. That is the church's miracle. Not heavenly bread per se, but heavenly sharing. 
Here's the idea I want us to, to rally around. I think is if we, we look at Acts 2, 42-47, a very formative text when we explore what we want to be as a church. Uh, I would sum it up contextually by the idea that God shares life with us. That's what's happening. You know, you go back to the cross and the Last Supper and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. God is literally sharing his life with us so that we can share our lives with others. The early church was so overwhelmed as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. All that God had given them, coming fresh off the cross and the resurrection and now the Spirit, they could not imagine not sharing that with one another. It would have just boggled their mind that Christians could not share with one another. It would just be like, what? That's impossible. That's the idea that we're going to wrestle with this morning. Here's the big barrier that we face as Americans. Uh, we are very individualistic. Can we agree on that? We're very indi- now. Now, there are strengths to that. 100% there are strengths to that. Some that I wrote down, we have unprecedented individual freedoms. We have opportunities for people who never had opportunities. We have a very strong work ethic as a people. Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're very innovative, entrepreneurship, and we're the most diverse country in the history of the world. I think all that comes from a commitment to responsibility and accountability. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's interesting, if you read the letters of the Founding Fathers as they constructed this experiment, which it really is still an experiment, no one's ever tried anything like this, they were deeply concerned They knew how individualistic their model was, and they write in letters to one another all the time, this will only work in a nation that's also committed to collectivism, that also has these kind of the fabric of of spiritual, civic, family, community organizations, church and the Kiwanis and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and, you know, bowling leagues and on and on and on. They said it will only work. And if that ever dissipates this thing's over. And I think what we see as we look back over the last kind of decades, we see those things dissipating. We see those things coming apart, and we see individualism spiking, and I think we are headed towards a cliff. One author recently said, if if America ever ceases to be on American's tombstone, may read, death by rugged individualism. And I think there's some truth to that. What can be our great strength can be our weakness if we don't realize that both of them have to exist together. I would define individualism as a commitment to self at the expense of others. A commitment to self at the expense of others. Here's a little cheat sheet thing with words. Anytime you put ism on the end of the word, it's not good. It's like not a good thing, right? You're taking a good thing and you're making it everything. Remember we talked about nationalism two weeks ago? The nation's great. Be patriotic. Yes. But you add an ism to it and you make it everything, it's not good. So same thing with individualism. It's not good. We're, we're commi- so fiercely committed to, to the individual self uh, at, at the stake of others, and that's not good. Anyway, I'm, I was a poli-sci major, and, but I'm not a professional. I'm a pastor here. So we'll move on. We'll let the pundits figure out how all that's going to work out. I only mention it for this text as I think it is a barrier. When we see this communal spirit, this sharing life together on full display in Acts 2, it's almost like an alien culture to us because we don't know what that looks like. We're like, ah. And I think that's played out in, in two ways that create, I'm going to be positive now, a missional opportunity for the church. Here's our missional opportunity. One, uh, uh, individualism has created a massively divided world. Can we agree with that? Yes, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. A July 2020 poll 
found uh, one area of agreement between Biden voters and Trump voters. One area. All right, we got one area. Here's the area of agreement. 41% of Biden voters and 52% of Trump voters agreed it was time for blue and red states to secede from the union. That's the one thing they could agree on. <laughs> oh boy, you know, it's going well here, you know. Jeez, 80, 81% of Americans agree that we're divided. 87% of people over 65, that's some of you, say this is the worst they can ever remember it being. And think what that generation has experienced. And they say this is the worst. So let's not, let's not turn a blind eye to that. 27% of Americans have cut off a relationship with a friend or family member since the 2016 election. All right, so individualism leads to division, which I think the church can answer. The answer is right there in front of us today, coming together, sharing life together. It also uh, has created a, an epidemic of loneliness. That's a term some sociologists are using. So I want to talk to you. I did a little loneliness research. You want to learn about loneliness? Anybody interested? Like, yeah, I don't know. All right. Loneliness is now the leading cause of death in America. It's as dangerous as smoking 16 cigarettes a day. It leads to increased risk of heart disease, cancer, dementia, depression, anxiety, insomnia, and drug abuse. It has a negative effect on job performance, school performance, and the ability to have productive conversations with others. One former Surgeon General of the U.S. said, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. They did a massive study, uh, Alameda County, uh, nine years. They studied 7,000 people. And they found that people with bad health habits but strong relational connections lived longer than people with good health habits but no social connections. Are you following that? You can sum it up. Someone summed it up by saying it showed it was better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli alone. Yeah. <laughs> Do Twinkies still exist? I think they're, are they gone? I don't know, that's sad. Anyway, the AMA uh, infected 276 people with a common cold. The ones with strong community and friendships did four times better fighting off the cold and were less likely to pass it on to others. So I sum that up saying snotty people need a friend. <laughs> see, see what I did there with the snotty people need a friend? All right. Uh, Harvard University political science Robert Putnam, this is a book you may have heard of, it was a pretty popular book in 2000, uh, called Bowling Alone. He's since come out with a subsequent book that's kind of updated his research, but continues to find it increasing. He argued that uh, America's financial capital was increasing as its social capital was eroding. And he, his main little metaphor there, as from the title of the book, found that more people were bowling and less people were bowling together. So it's one little, one little thing of like what I said at the top, like, like individualism is, is fine if it's woven into the fabric of community. But if community is eroding, we're in deep trouble, is, is kind of what, what he said. All right, I could go on and on and on on loneliness, but I, I will leave it there. Although I did, I did see that the UK just hired their first minister of loneliness. Can you believe that? It's like, this is how, this is how, how difficult it's been. Uh, Nijay in his book brought up this illustration that I kind of forgot in this book, and it's a great illustration. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce, and it was kind of, uh, it, it wasn't, you know, don't go and read it and think this is exactly what heaven and hell look like. Lewis, as he did with Narnia, kind of creates a world and says heaven and hell may look kind of like this metaphorically. And his picture of uh, hell was what he called Greytown, and people would get dropped off a bus in Greytown, and very quickly, they're all together, they begin to argue and bicker and fight. And then 
as is their choice, because that's a key component of C.S. Lewis's vision of hell, we choose it, they would separate. And there's tons of space in Greytown. There's as far as the eye can see. You can have any pick of any house, wherever you want to go. And he said quickly people would just separate, divide, and isolate. And his, in his, his in picture of the Greytown, he said you could look out for millions of miles and see lights separated and scattered, nobody together, everybody alone. And I'm like, holy moly. Here's our opportunity, church. Here's the opportunity. If we can be faithful to the model that we see in Acts 2, 42 through 47, uh, following Jesus, filled with the Spirit, on mission, sharing life together, it will be so provocatively beautiful to a world that is riddled with division and loneliness, it'll be game on. <laughs> People would just be like, where's your church? What is that about? I want to be part of that. But if we allow the individualism and the division and the loneliness to enter our church, we will be no different from anyone else. And that's what we, we see this corrective. And we look at the New Testament, you, you literally cannot follow Jesus alone. It's impossible. We bring these individualistic lenses to everything we read in the New Testament. We read it through the me, a self-centeredness. Almost all of it is meant to be understood and lived out in community. I challenge you, just go read it. Look at all the plural. It's just plural everywhere. Here's a little example. Even when you read the word you, that Greek word translated you is a plural. How many times do you read it and you're like you and you're thinking me? <laughs> it's all of us. We just don't have an English word to translate the Greek word you into a plural. Our, our friends down south have tried. They go with y'all. But I don't know, you can't put, can you put that in a translation of a Bible? I don't, but that's the idea, y'all. And start reading the scriptures as y'all, and it's transformative. We cannot do this alone. We, we, are, we are absolutely better together. All right, so kind of in our little, you know, at the end of each sermon, I, I told you this two weeks ago, I kind of write in my notes, so what? So what? I, I can run my mouth on things, and you can laugh, and we can tell stories. So what? What does it matter? Well, as I went back to the passage, I see four ways, if we're going with this idea of koinonia and fellowship, sharing life together, I see four ways the early church did this. And so I just want to quickly just walk through those. So if you have your text out, just look at it. We'll go back to the text. Four ways that this early church, following Jesus, filled with the Spirit, on mission, begin to share their lives together. The first one is sharing time, sharing time. It says in Acts 2, 46... Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. We have trouble getting people to come to church once a month. Every day, every day, they went to the temple courts. Now, they're Jewish people. They just kept going to the temple courts. That's kind of where, where they connected with God, which is totally fine. It also says, also additionally to that, they met in homes regularly. So not only going every day to the temple courts, but they're meeting in homes together regularly. They are spending lots of time together. Part of sharing life together is sharing time. That's koinonia. That's the idea. We're sharing time. And time is our most important commodity. The value of a commodity is how rare it is. Our time is not renewable. You spend it and it's gone. And we all sense that when someone gives us their time, how valuable is that? We know it intuitively as humans. The early church understood that, and they invested time into one another. We cannot be the church. We cannot fulfill our mission. We cannot bear witness to Jesus. Two weeks ago, remember, that's our, our main challenge here. 
by not sharing time together. There's no shortcuts to this. There just isn't. And people are annoying. I get it. They're frustrating. And in times viable, we're all busy kind of deal. But we, we have to spend time together. I was talking to my, my daughter Eden yesterday, and, and I said, I've just been reflecting on this. And I was like, honey, we, we all say all the time, I say it all the time, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Do you know for the vast majority of the world what people spent most of their time doing? So I posed that question to her, and she's like trying to find a hot spot for their phones. And I'm like, no, no, no. No, she didn't say that. It, gathering food. That's the answer. Gathering food. That's it. You just got up in the morning, and you tried to kill something or farm something or find some water that didn't have like disease in it and protect yourself from marauders. And that was it. That was a day. We live now, we have so much free time, it's ridiculous. So yes, I know we're busy, but it's chosen busyness. How about we take some of that precious commodity and time and we spend it together as a community? And again, some of, you, some of people are online still, and I'm so glad, and that works for some people because of vulnerability and wherever you're at, and I'm, no judgment there. We do that, we'll continue to do that. That's not church. It's just, it's just not church. Can you imagine having a marriage and having an online marriage? You just only Zoomed. You just Zoomed together. I mean, come on, right? That, that, can't, that can't work. That's not a thing. So the first thing they did is they shared this. So a healthy, Jesus-following, spirit-filled church that's on mission is sharing time. The second one is sharing gifts. Sharing gifts. By gifts, I mean the physical, spiritual resources that God has given us. Not only money and possessions, but our time and our energy and our emotions. And as Mike shared with us uh, last week, our spiritual gifts that all of us have from the Holy Spirit. All of that, please hear this, is not yours. It's not mine. And we fall for that. Like, well, I earned it, John. Well, you breathe because of the grace of God. Your brain works because of the grace of God. You're born in this country because of the grace of God. I'm not saying you don't work hard. We don't earn things. Certainly, that's an important facet of following Jesus. Don't hear that. But to say this is mine is so not true. It's not yours. That's why I say all the time, all is grace. It's just all grace. It's just all gifts. And if we understand like the early church did that all has been given to us, how can we not freely give to one another as the body of Christ? How can, I mean, that's the question. It's a, it's a challenging, provocative question. Acts 2, 44 and 45 says this. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That's that root word of, of koinonia. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Anyone. And we see that, we'll see this theme as we go on in, in the book of Acts. The Jerusalem church, there's a famine and they're really struggling. Paul goes around to all the churches to get a collection from, from some very poor churches for the people in Jerusalem because they had it worse off. Because he saw them all as one church. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful vision. Uh, Nijay, you, you guys probably know about this. I'm, I'm still newer to Portland, but he mentioned uh, the Fix-It Fair here in Portland. Do you guys know about the Fix-It Fair? Is he the only one that knows about it? I guess they have them. Clackamas County has one too. And they happen on a regular basis. So you show up at the Fix-It Fair. It's a citywide sponsor event. And you have experts there that are giving freely of their time to fix things. So you bring like a busted toaster or a microwave, knives are sharpened, clothes are mended, bike tires are taken care of, your bikes are tuned up. Isn't this incredible? I didn't even know this existed. And it's free, and there's free lunch, and there's free childcare. Here's the question. What if the church was like a fix-it fair? 
Would that be compelling? I mean, would that be missional? <laughs> Heck yeah. Because look at this room. Look, at, look around at us. You guys are some not only good-looking people, but you're gifted. You all have a myriad of gifts and experiences, and we're meant to come together and help one another out. Uh, that's the idea of sharing uh, a gifts together. So a healthy, Jesus-following, spirit-filled church that's on mission is sharing gifts with one another. Uh, so if you've got a gift and you're not serving around here in some way, get in the game. You just have to trust me if you're new. I'm not trying to sweat you or manipulate you. We don't need it. It's not about that. It's what you need. It's what it looks like to be faithful to following Jesus and being part of a community. If your gifts are on the bench, we're less of a church. So get in the game. It's not manipulative. I'm not trying to guilt or shame. If you feel that, just don't do it. Don't respond out of guilt and shame. Respond out of like, I want this. I want to be part of the body of Christ. We also have a fund called Family in Crisis that, that many of you uh, faithfully give to. That's above and beyond your tithe, and thank you for that. But family in crisis, some of you are saying, yeah, I'm going to tithe and then I'm going to give extra because God's blessed me and my money is not my own to people in my church that may need help. And you can, Mike kind of runs that. You can ask him. You could ask the elders, those of us who, who operate there. We use it all the time because we get tons of calls, especially in this season and where the, where the economy is and all that. So that's another way you can give. All right, third, sharing prayer. The early church was committed to sharing prayer. Uh, Two of the primary ways, as we talked about in the text, that they experienced koinonia was the breaking of bread and prayer. And these are the last two we're going to talk about. So sharing prayer, what did that look like? Uh, the, the, the Didache is a first century document that talked about how the early church ran. It's kind of a discipleship manual that we have. And, uh, and it says that the early church prayed together not only once, but three times a day. In the morning, midday, and at night. Well, let's not get crazy, right? Wow, that's a lot of praying. <laughs> it's so beautiful. That they, they gathered together on their faces before God. More and more people are like, Pastor John, what do we need to do? Things are so bad. I'm like, we need to pray. We need to pray. And I'm not trying to spiritualize it or just plan. I believe that prayer works. And so we want to be a praying church. Uh, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. And I kind of wrote this question down in my notes and it was convicting to me personally. Maybe it will be to you. Of your prayer life, as you think about your prayer life, how much of it is individual and alone? I think if you look at the model of the New Testament, most of it should be with other people, really, to be honest. So what are we going to do about that as a church? Jess uh, oversees our prayer ministry here. You see here around, we have a prayer, online prayer thing, Monday at 7. Uh, we'd love to bring that in person, uh, hopefully, sooner rather than later. Um, but that's amazing to get together with people from our church and pray together. Um, we have a prayer list that you can get to pray through needs that people submit. Um, we're we're going to start offering regular prayer and worship nights. Seth and Becca, there you are, did one the other night. That was awesome. I got a little weepy. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. And uh, we gathered in this room and we we prayed to different areas of the city and we prayed together and we sang worship songs and and it was just really beautiful. Um, in our uh, we have a renovation meeting today that you can go go to after the second service to hear about our renovation of our entire building, which is starting in January. We're going to have a whole space just devoted to 24/7 prayer. And uh, so we're, we're kind of sticking a flag in the ground here. We're like, we're going to be a church of prayer. Uh, today starts 10 days of prayer in the city. We're working with churches across the greater metro area. Uh, to, and, and there's going to be events every day, things you can go to. I think there's a slide that will come up. If you have questions about that, check it out. Try to go to one. 
Try to pray together with, with, the, with the city. Um, when we sing together, I know some of you are like, I don't know about the singing thing. I don't have a good voice. Like, I just read this article that when we sing together, brain science, we're formed together. This says the experiences when we sing together create a surge of endorphins and a release of oxycodone, resulting in a heightened sense of fellow feeling, a deepening of social bonds, a loss of self-protective boundaries, and an increase of being felt by another. More of that. right? When we sing together, that's what's happening in our brains, whether we can touch on it or not. It's beautiful. And I think, I think singing together, they're just, they're just prayers that we're singing. We're praying in that way together as God's people. Um, so a healthy Jesus-following church that's filled with the Spirit and on mission is sharing time and sharing gifts and sharing prayer. And then finally, we're sharing tables. We're sharing tables. Uh, tables for Luke, going back to his life. Remember, Luke wrote Acts. So if you go back to Luke, and we walked walk through that, Luke has uh, tons of food scenes. I, I joke about Luke. Jesus in the Gospel of Luke is like Brad Pitt in all the Oceans movies. He's always eating. In every scene, notice that. Go check it out later. He's always eating, Jesus. He's just always at a table. And Luke knew and Jesus knew that the Roman Greco banquet table was the key place that told people who you were and how important you were and where you fit in the world. They had them all the time. Jesus comes in, and there's six of these scenes that are clear Greco-Roman banquet scenes. Jesus walks in and metaphorically flips the tables. And, and I think that Jesus takes tables and transforms them to give us a picture of the kingdom of God. And I don't think that's stopped. We still gather around tables. And so uh, Luke in Acts uses this thing, they were committed to the breaking of bread. He mentions this twice in our little passage today. And I think the early church continued that legacy. They continued gathering around tables. And when they did so, they're like, this table is not our table. It's the Lord's table. And because it's the Lord's table, everyone matters. And everyone's going to eat. And everyone has value. And everyone is seen. What if we begin to think about that? As we go out, because you're at tables all the time, it's just a natural flow of life. If every time you sit down, you begin to take, think of your table as the Lord's table. Wow. Uh, my professor, Scott, he's writing a translation of the New Testament. So he, he's, he hasn't published it yet, but he sent me the Word documents. I was interested in how Scott translated this, so I went to it, and I love it. He, he translates breaking the bread as cracking bread. I love that. Let me give you a cracking bread challenge. Sometime this week or next week, over the next couple of weeks, have somebody from your church here over to your home and share your table with them. That's it. That's the challenge. And some of you are feeling kind of anxiety right now, like, I don't know, people. Yeah. Just, it does, like, and don't everybody email me, please. I'm, like, already trying to lose weight. So, you know, we just, <laughs> find somebody you don't know, somebody that the Spirit of God is weaving you in with. Just saying, hey, you want, you want to come over with your family or if it's a, a single person, a single, or invite a few people over. Have a little party. Or if you don't want to do it at your home for whatever reason, take them out to eat. Allow, allow the table, the food carts in Happy Valley or, or wherever you go to be the Lord's table. Like that, I'm convinced that's how the early church saw it. I'm convinced that's how Jesus saw it. Because they wove together the, the Lord's Supper, what we do and what they were taught to do with the Lord, right in with all their meals. They just wove it in. It was just, it was just one thing. That's my challenge for you. 
Uh, random trivia question as we, as we end and then go to the table. What is the largest organism in the world? Anybody have any, any idea? Largest organism is a tree, uh, but it's not a solitary tree. It's called the trembling giant tree. And it's located in Fish Lake, Utah. It's on my bucket list to see it. It's an aspen tree colony. Aspens, as you may know, don't ever grow alone. They have to have another aspen there. And this colony, all of the trees share the same root system. How cool is that? They estimate there are 47,000 connected trees in this tree colony, weighing 6,600 tons. They think the root system is 14,000 years old. Now, you know how hard it is. You ever try to rip out even like a, an adolescent sapling from your yard that you planted? It's really difficult. Can you imagine the strength of that tree, of that colony? Why do you think it's existed for so long? Because it shares resources. If one end of the colony is, is thirsty and the other end has water, whoa. If one end's you know, hungry or whatever word for trees you might want to use, they share. If disease is somewhere, they all fight it together. When the wind comes, they hunker down and they, they share the same root system. When I first heard that, I was like, what a beautiful, beautiful model of what the church is supposed to be. And if we do that, following Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God, can you imagine the beautiful witness we might have in a world broken by division and loneliness? Oh, man, it just gets me up at the water so excited. We are truly better together. So we're going um, to live that out here practically. Um, those of you who are part of New Hope uh, back millenniums and millenniums ago, before COVID, you, uh, you may remember that uh, we regularly uh, would take communion as a group. And we're going to start that again. Um, obviously, we've been hesitant about COVID and the pandemic. We're still well aware of the numbers and the risk. And obviously, anybody that needs to wear a mask, and we certainly invite you to do so. Um, so we want this to feel safe. We don't want anyone to feel alarmed. Uh, so for that reason, if you feel best just being at, at your seat and taking communion the way we have been the last couple of years with the cups, just raise your hand and, and usher will come. There's no judgment at all. I want you to feel really safe here. Um, but if you're willing to come and participate, and it's not like if we were going to be really faithful to the New Testament, we'd have a meal. And we're talking about those things, right? That's how they did it. But we want to get as close as we can to that. And so we have uh, two tables in the front right here. And we'll have uh, uh, four of us up here, two per table. And we have a table up in the balcony. And, uh, and we'll just have music playing. And take time, pray. I don't want you to rush at all. But come on up, and if you get in line, you get in line, or maybe there's nobody up there, and the leaders will kind of tell you to come forward till we get like eight or ten people. And then you'll kind of just, some of you will remember this, we'll get in a semicircle, and then we have bread that's, that's pre-cut, so you can grab that, and then we have a, a cup of juice that you can dip it in. Uh, so we will we'll, we'll walk around and say the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, and you dip it and you take it. Uh, we also have a tray with the cups. If you, feel, if you want to come up and kind of be part of the group, but you're not quite ready to grab the bread and dip, it's totally fine. Just grab a cup and you can be with us. And then at the end, uh, the pair of leaders, I'll be over here with Sarah at this table, uh, and Mike and Denise will be here. Um, we'll just say a brief prayer over here because we want to pray together. We want to be the body of Christ. We want to share life together. In doing so, I'm pretty convinced we'll change the world. Father God, thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit here with us. Thank you for your son Jesus who 
broke his body and spilled his blood to make not only us right, uh, but to create the church and to make all things that have ever been wrong right again in the world. Can't wait for that. And uh, we're at the very beginning of that, of seeing that happening and seeing your kingdom breaking into earth and making all things whole. And we say, come Lord Jesus. So as the community table day, we look back and we remember that earth-shadowing, cosmos-shadowing moment uh, where the incarnate guy died for us and then rose again. But we also look forward with joy and expectation and hope uh, to when kingdom will fully come and all things will be made right. Uh, So we celebrate that as your people in this small way. This morning, we share life together. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you that all is grace. And thank you for Jesus, who is the hope of the world and the hope of our lives. We pray this in his matchless name. Amen.